welcome back to another episode of Queen's Comic Party, or, well, Queen's Comic Podcast. I forget we rebranded it a while ago. <laughs> it was always the Queen's Comic Podcast. I know, but I'm so used to screaming out Queen's Comic Party, and I apologize. Nah, that's fair enough. Well, I'm Billy Bombs. I'm Ian. And uh, we're here for another uh, episode talking about comics and what we picked up. And obviously, we're going to talk about what's new that just came out as well. Yep. Um, do you want to start? Like, is there a book that you picked up that you really want to talk about? So... Yesterday afternoon, um, I went out to Aw Yeah Comics in Harrison, New York. So I was in the Bronx visiting my friend Anthony, and I realized it was only about 15, 20 minutes away from where he was. So since I'd already paid the bridge tolls, I made the trip. And that's a really great store. Have you ever been out there? No, no, no. I, uh, how is that part of the Bronx, or is it north It's in Harrison, so it's north of the Bronx, like right by Rye Playland. I haven't been there yet. I've okay. not been there. All right. How good was it? it it's, it's totally worth going back. Really? Yeah. All right, let's go one day. Yeah, definitely. So, one of the coolest things I got there, and this was only $5, was the 1978 Comic Art Convention program. And right on the right on the front cover, it's Jeffrey Jones, Michael Kaluta, Barry Windsor Smith, and Bernie Wrightson. So, automatically, you've got my attention. I had one of these when I was in my early 20s, and I lost a bunch of my comics in a flood, oh, and this okay. was one of them that I lost. So, to pick it up for 5 bucks, I was pretty stoked. It's in nice shape. You flip through it, and it is exactly what it sounds like. It's It's a program... Um, right on the main page, welcome to the 1978 Comic Art Convention. On the left side, there's an ad for when in Midtown Manhattan, stop at the New York Comic Arts Gallery and Bookshop on 58th Street uh, at Lexington, which is unfortunately no longer there. But they feature art by Jeff Jones, Kaluta, Wrightson, Neil Adams, Harvey Kurtzman, Jack Davis, Spider Webb, Ralph Reese, Howard Shakin, Gray Morrow, Trina Robbins, Steve Hickman, Paul Stinton, and others. So that would have been pretty cool thing to be able to check out back in the 70s um if it's 58th 57th street area over there mm-hmm. is a bookstore that's been there that bought their books they bought their building in the 70s or 60s uh-huh. they absorbed all the other bookstores in the area that closed up so whatever collection was in there is in there it's a big building like a five-floor bookstore building right in the middle of 58th street i think i may be wrong but it might be 58th street or 57th street interesting yeah yeah i was just watching a documentary about it okay. that's why <laughs> i'm gonna have to make my way over there because i've never been to the whatever's over there now yeah i'll look up the name of it but it's a family-owned bookstore as you flip through it, you get the table of contents and more you know welcome to the convention type stuff they list the staff uh phil ceiling is the guy who put it on he was based in coney island oh nice yeah oh so he's already in coney island barker mm-hmm. <laughs> but on the dc welcomes you page there's uh, previews from some upcoming attractions like The Vixen by Jerry Conway and Vince Coletta and The Odd Man by Steve Ditko. It says, coming this fall to Black Lightning. I don't have all the Black Lightning books. Do you? I do have a huge collection of it, but not the original ones. Okay. But more of the 80s ones when they were like really nice artwork. Right. But I never heard of The Odd Man. Neither have I. Yeah, so. That's why I was like, Vixen I heard of. I, she's a great character yeah. that was used in the Detroit Justice League. But after seeing this little page here, I'm like, okay, Steve Ditko did The Odd Man in Black Lightning. It must have been a backup story. Yeah, but it looks story. like the, it looks like Mod Man from like, uh, Teen Titans. He's wearing a polka dot tie and uh, a jacket with stripes going in four different directions and pants with stripes going in multiple directions and some very fly uh, white patent leather shoes. And he has no eyeballs. Yeah, he has nothing. Just, no eyeballs. And what a weird character. What an odd character. man. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you got me there. <laughs> yeah. And then there's an ad for Adam Strange uh, coming to Strange Adventures. My question, how how did Adam Strange never pick up? What a great-looking character. He's always been cool. Yeah. I think. I, I mean, I don't really know what's cool anymore because I'm old, but I always <laughs> thought he was cool. <laughs> My um, I loved uh, I loved any miniseries with him, like the Rantangar War in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Neil Adams dra- drawing him for the Justice League when he fights the Justice League. And even JLA, when Grant Morrison wrote it, and they enslaved the Earth, or all the superheroes from Earth in Iran, in the planet Iran. 
And I thought he had such a cool look, but it just never clicked with anybody. It was like Flash Gordon without the oomph. Yeah, kind of. My first exposure to him was Swamp Thing. Yeah, well, when they went, started going out of planets and became yep. the Red and, yeah, towards, it, Red and Mist? Or what, what yeah, towards the end of the Alan Moore run. Yeah, yeah. 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 How excellent is that? Anyway, continuing through here, you got an article from Roy Thomas just kind of talking about the convention with some Barry Smith art alongside it. A very cool ad for the Russ Cochran Presents Complete EC Library. Nice. Complete Weird Science. Um, back when you could get them $14 per volume. <laughs> Not <laughs> I, anymore. <laughs> don't let me forget to bring up uh, EC Comics. There's like a weird collection I just saw. That you would love. We're gonna go check it out with one of our friends. All right, you have uh, you have my interest. Yeah, it's a print collection, but it's not. But it's uh, it's really cool. We'll we'll talk about it real quick, so we'll stop. Um, uh, one of uh, one of our listeners is a guy called we call Phantom Creep, who's uh, Mike Decay. Mm. He had a collection of oversized art pages right. from EC. I thought they were originals. He says no. In the early two thousand, EC did one final print as a Comic Con exclusive. Okay, he bought all of them for a hundred bucks, uh-huh. but they look so beat up and old. Like, they aged it. It fooled me to think it's the original covers. Those were on his Instagram page. The other day. You saw it, right? Yes, yeah, I, I saw it. Because yes. I called him and I said, those are original? Because that explains a lot. Mm-hmm. And he goes, no, 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 no. I'm not that. I'm, I'm, I'm crazy, but not that crazy. <laughs> uh, also, an ad for six graphic novels from Heavy Metal, none of which I, I recognize. I've never seen a graphic novel from Heavy Metal ever. I have the Alien one that Walt Simonson did. Back yeah. in the seventies, but is it like the one that Marvel picked up, or is it that Alien? Or no, it... it's 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 an adaptation of the movie, but it was never oh. published by Marvel. It was Heavy Metal. They did oh. it first. Oh, I'm waiting for the epic collection of the first collection of ever. Marvel bought whatever rights to the ownership of the stories. Yep. yep. And they're coming out of these epics. Yeah. And Volume One is supposed to be all the early stuff. I hopefully there's a Walt Simonson one there in there. I so hope. they're doing all the Dark Horse stuff. I yeah. don't know if they have the rights to the Heavy Metal story or not. Yeah, well, they might. Yeah, because the way they bought it out, like the franchise, they were supposed to buy the all the IPs or something. Well, Disney Fox owned Aliens. Disney bought Fox. That's what I meant. So Disney owns Marvel. They can, they can maybe do it, but I don't know what the rights are on the heavy metal stuff. The people were saying it's like a fantastic collection. Mm-hmm. All the preview guys are like, this is better than anything we've ever seen. I got all the originals, so I'm not going to bother. Yeah, yeah you're but... good. Did you see the price on the originals? Great. They, they've, they've gone up a lot. Yeah, one yeah. guy wants like uh, $1,900 for the first six issues, yeah, graded 9, 4, and up. That's nuts. Yeah, yeah. Another article on Trina Robbins, Marathon Woman. I'm not super familiar with her work. I remember she was on Comic Book Confidential, the documentary. I tried to watch it. It's it's a little it's a little too off for me to finish. Yeah? Yeah, it, like it's like the way the footage is mm-hmm. filmed. I was like, I know at the time it was much better than this. I, I I love it, but I saw it as a kid, so a lot of that oh, might true. be nostalgia. Yeah, yeah. But it's I was like, like Oh wow, Will Eisner's interviewed in this and oh, Frank nice. Miller looking like a long haired young guy. Yeah, like somebody cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> More ads for Colorado Comics, Sal Q Productions promoting the art of Neil Adams and Richard Corbin's Dweller in the Dark. Ads for somebody named Walter Wang and Ron Foreman who want to give you the highest prices for your comic books and comic related material. Seagate advertising the Star Wars magazine. Just a lot of old ads that I think are kind of interesting just to look back at them and see what stuff was selling for, what they wanted to buy. And then you get into the artwork. Okay, there's a Cody Starbuck piece by Howard Shaken. Um, and then there's a, an article on Jeffrey Jones before he transitioned to Jeffrey Catherine Jones with some artwork. Same deal with Mike Kaluta. This great, like, moody shot of him standing in what looks like an apartment stairwell. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, with a nice art piece beside it. Great piece of Barry Windsor Smith, who they describe as a poet in the, uh-huh. uh, in the program. And then um, the rights and page with... A nice little original sketch that was done for this program that I don't recognize from anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So the reason that they were all at the, the same convention was because they were promoting the studio, which is with the book that they had that came out in 78, which was kind of like a, a 
portfolio for the four of them because they all share a studio space at the time. Did you ever get a chance to get that book? No. 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 Sadly not. I've always wanted one. That's the goal now. Yeah. That's going to be one of the summer goals. Yeah. I always tell people, give yourself a list of stuff for that year to find. Mm -hmm. Last year was mine. was supposed to be, um, I found most of the stuff I was looking for except for one, which was the uh, Captain Marvel Jr. and the electric chair cover. I have to make it up for this year, but that could be yours for this year to look for. It's like a big book to get. It is. Yeah, it's not cheap. <laughs> oh, I imagine. Yeah. But I'm sure you'll find it with all the bookstores in New York. It shows up on eBay on a regular basis. You just got to be willing to drop a little bit of money on it. No, but here's the thing. You you got to go out and foot hunt it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Give one day to Strands. Give one day to... Because uh, Strands is my go-to to find rare trades and rare uh, art books. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, they'll keep getting stuff weekly. And uh, I used to have a guy that would call me like, yo, we got a huge collection. That was pre-pandemic. Right. But nowadays, I got to think about going back. We'll go together. That's we should, how I got half of these books. We got to take a day and just go hunting. Yeah, especially Strands, because Manhattan is so old. Yeah. So <laughs> it really old. Is. It's so much everything. It really is. Going through it, there's this weird two-page spread. Fraternal felicitations to Super Suling from Jerry DeFuccio. And that's Blackhawk. Mm-hmm. I don't recognize any of these uh, guys. It's Bullet Man. Bullet Man, okay. Yeah, um, it's all Golden Age guys. Yeah, it's all Golden Age guys. I think you could get away with it at the mm-hmm. time to put it, but I don't know who's the Patriot-looking character or the other guy that's like guy a looks like character. A, looks like a pirate flying on a chain. I'm <laughs> not really sure what's going on there. Space Voyages of Philip Drouet. We talked about Drouet briefly when we went over the Sega Duzam French book that I brought. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's a little article on him that was actually written by Jim Starenko. Which is that's awesome. Cool. Yeah, a few pages with some of his artwork, which is just so trippy. Uh, that stuff needs to come out here mm-hmm. in my lifetime. <laughs> and then but, we got a one-page costume parade, which was cosplay before it was cosplay. And it's uh, one, two, three, six pages. Three of them are women dressed as Red Sonia. Actually, four of them are women dressed as Red Sonia. The fifth one is, I don't know what that woman is dressed as. No. And then the fifth one is some, some dude who looks really lost wearing... <laughs> It's an elf costume, I think, but just the expression on his face. He looks kind of scared and yeah. sad. He looks scared and sad. A wrong party, man. Yep. <laughs> Moving towards cool the end. King Great King Kong portfolio piece by Ken Barr. Uh, nice Ernie Cole and John Carter Warlord of Mars piece that probably was too violent to ever be used in the Marvel comic at the time because this guy's bleeding from his mouth. This guy's throat's been slit. This guy's lost his arm. This woman's not wearing a lot of clothes. I love unused art for stuff or mm-hmm. man for a reason. And yeah. It pops up somewhere else. Right. Check this piece out. It's a Charles Vess illustration from 1977. I would not have known that was Vess unless I saw the signature on it. Because mm-hmm. his, his his line work got so much tighter in the 80s. I don't know how familiar you are with his stuff. He did no. a lot of vertigo work. And he did the, uh, the Spider-Man Spirits of the Earth, I think it was called. The hardcover graphic novel where Spider-Man went to Scotland. No, I don't ever read that. It's that so sounds cool. great. It's so cool. Yeah. So anyway, early piece from him. Heads Up by Bill Maher of Hot Stuff. I don't know who this is. I can't make out the signature. It looks like Neil Adams art, yeah, it's yeah. not. It's somebody doing a very good Neil Adams. It's not Jerry the King Lawler? It's not. <laughs> yeah, because um, uh, when he was younger, before he got really, really big, he got big in the late 70s mm-hmm. in wrestling. But um, that was his dream was to be a Superman artist. So he, a lot of people called him a clone of uh, Neil Adams. Okay. That was his idol. And that looks like his piece. Yeah, no, it doesn't. It's Michael something. It looks like it says Michael Snide, maybe? Snide or Snipe? Um, next to that is a nice piece by John Byrne, where uh, late '70s Storm is kind of making fun of late '70s Ms. Marvel's costume because they're basically the same. It really is. <laughs> another piece by just signed by somebody named Arnold. Uh, another piece by somebody signed Larson. No, it wouldn't be Eric. No, Maybe too Gary. Early. Too early. Um, a Terry Austin, a great Terry Austin Black Canary piece. Um, Wait, Gary Larson from the Far Side? 
Yeah, clearly it wouldn't be him. Yeah, no, no he <laughs> only does nature stuff. Yeah, it wouldn't be him. Yeah. I don't know who it is then. Um, and then a nice Superman piece. And then at the end, there's a, an article on the 1948 comic art convention, as if it very well might have been, if it had been at all, which was written by Phil Suling, who organized the 1978 comic art convention. And it's just about what a comic show in 1948 might have been like, had it existed. Kind of a weird article. Yeah. Um, I didn't read the whole thing because it didn't do much for me. And then you got a great, uh, a great oh. Doctor Doom piece. Oh, that's from Foom. Yeah, yeah. Nice in the last page. And then there's a spot for autographs. And when I got there and I opened it up, I saw the autographs page. I got really excited because I thought maybe there were some signatures in this guy. piece, but uh, there were not, unfortunately. I have, um, I have something from the same year uh, mm-hmm. in the collection here, but it's not for the comic art collection. It's just a comic fan convention in Midtown. That seems to be the year where a lot of that was coming out bigger. It seemed to start in the seventies, yeah. Yeah, how great is that? Mm-hmm. Like, but that one was hosted exclusively by Marvel. I seem to remember seeing ads for that somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So, we have it in here. Like, I'll yeah. show it to you later. Isn't that dope? That's pretty cool. <laughs> but it gives you a goal to find some stuff, and I love that they have huge pinups in it. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the convention programs back then did. Nowadays, the convention programs they're basically disposable. Yeah, There's it's not all much just in them. Chuck it away. Yeah, it's like. Um, like, you're not big on baseball, but back in the day, like, uh, the baseball ones were giant, like, magazines mm-hmm. for the year. And you'd be, like, the preview of the year or, like, the end of the year program. Then now the ones that you get are just so filled with stats and numbers and advertisements that you just don't want it. Yeah. It's just a thick magazine of, of just numbers. Well, um, oh, yeah, comics, they had, in their magazine section where I, where I pulled that out, they had a bunch of programs from San Diego. No shit. Yeah, like, going back. Like 90s and 2000s. There might have been some 80s ones in there, too. I didn't have the time or the money to grab all of them, but like they what had a the bunch of them. Range? Uh, they were reasonable, like 5 10 bucks. No shit. I paid 5 bucks for this. For that yeah, but, comic when you, program. but when you get a stack of stuff, it adds up real quick. It does add up real quick, yeah. And yeah. I'd already done some shopping earlier that day, so it was kind of on a budget. But another piece I got. So, same store. Came from, it's called Basically Strange, number one. Um, again, nice Richard Corbin cover on it that's what got my attention of course i wasn't familiar with this magazine it's from december 1982 and you open it up and uh it's published by john c productions and then if you look up top the publisher is john carbonaro oh, shit. yeah i wonder if it's any relations to mike carbonaro i think it might be his dad that would be amazing on so many levels yeah and the address on it is brooklyn they're from queens so it's not bad yeah he's from middle village or yeah. something like that or massive so maybe the office was in brooklyn i don't yeah. know but it's, it's awesome it's an it's a weird it's a it's not quite like an underground comic. It's it's part like fanzine, part comic. It's got a neat advertisement for um, the Thunder Agents Return from the early '80s with some Rich Buckler art on it. Mm. It's got a two-page review or a one-page review of Blade Runner. Like there's movie reviews in here. It has a story in here by Alex Toth called "To Kill Death," which has some really great art in it. A piece called "Tetragrammation" by Ryan and Bryant, who I'm not familiar with. A book review of Earth Invader. Um, so car- cartoons by Matt Jacobs, a review of the Swamp Thing movie. They don't like it. Uh, <laughs> and then, like, uh, a story by Wally Wood in here and a story by Bruce Jones as well. Um, it's a neat it's a neat piece. I was happy to get it. The price on this was $2. You got it, grab. So I'm not going to leave it there. You get an Alex Toast story, a Richard Corbin cover, and a Wally Wood story, and a Bruce Jones story for 2 bucks. Yeah, and then you can check out books that never came out. Right, yeah. That I swear to God, that's got to be my biggest, like thing is like seeing what was in unfinished mm-hmm. and trying to see if I ever find it. And there's an advertisement for number two in the back, but I did some research yesterday when I got home. I don't think it exists. Yeah. So, you get what I mean? Like yeah. sometimes funding gets dried up mm-hmm. or people pass on mm-hmm. and you're like, man, what could have been, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And sometimes it's like some great ideas and you see, and I learned it from the Jadarsky documentary about Dune. Right. 
all his stuff was just later on used for everything else. Yeah. And moved around. So yeah. you're like, so then you gotta just find the original. Mm-hmm. But you flip through this, like, look at this Alex Tothar and tell me that, like, he wasn't a huge influence on Howard Shaken. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited that he's coming uh, to the convention nearby. Which Howard Shaken. A uh, 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 Garden uh, Garden State Festival in New Jersey. That's the one in June? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, okay. we're, yeah, yeah, I forgot about it. I was going to bring it up because there's, there's a whole list of guys coming out. Right, okay. Yeah, that might be worth going to. Um, the tetragrammation thing that I mentioned with the art by Rick Bryant. I don't know Rick Bryant's art, but he does a great job of drawing naked ladies, which is <laughs> what this portfolio seems to be all about. So, good job, Rick. Thank you for your contributions. Uh, look at that marker work. It's so nice. Yeah, yeah. It's so nice. A, it's a pinup of a, of a woman, but you can tell it's done mostly in marker or paintbrush. Look, it's paintbrush. The hair is definitely paintbrush. The yeah. face might be marker. Yeah, but, but it's, it's really nice so line cool. work. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. like minimalist. There's not much to it, but it's really striking. And it's just, yeah, this, the tetragrammation stuff is just his portfolio, I guess. I'd like to see more work from him. I don't... It, I'd never heard of him before. But is that a book you've, uh, you've heard before the name? No. So maybe... Oh, another list. Yeah, I might have to do some more research on that guy. Um, anyway, yeah, the Swamp Thing review. They don't like it. <laughs> Let's flip through to the Wallywood story. Sometimes, like, when you hear bad reviews, best thing to do is just move on. Right. You're like, why? Right. Oh, there's, there's, a Frank, there's a Frank Thorne story in here, too. I like his art because of Red, the Red Sonja Marvel series from the... Oh, no, no. Did he do, like, um, like uh, love stories back in the day, by any chance? He might have. I'm not sure. Because I always find, like, uh, weird 70s books. Mm-hmm. And it's similar to the artwork of the young lady he drew. Yeah. Yeah. He would be in a lot of weird 70s books, Yeah, like for this sure. one. Yeah. This one right here. Yep. He was great on Red Sony. I don't know if you ever read those or not. I got the first one. Uh, I got it as a gift from uh-huh. somebody at the convention. Okay. And I was like, cool, so I kept it. Yeah. I love the cover work. It's nice. It's yeah. really nice. And the Bruce Jones story is called The Creator. <coughs> Sorry, yeah. I apologize. Sorry, you're good. And then uh, it's just a, a guy and a girl in a skimpy outfit fighting some dinosaurs. <laughs> so. Earth, though. Hard to go wrong there. Yeah, so the Wally Wood piece is called The Ultimate Power. And it's it's just this weird piece about like a wizard's assistant. And he summons a devil named the Mog and just kind of, like, gets power that way through making a pact with somebody he shouldn't be making a pact with. And, of course, it, it all goes south. It's not Wallywood's best art. <laughs> it, but it's still cool to have it. I mean, it's not bad by any stretch, but it's not on the level of, like, his top-tier stuff. Is it just filler that you think he made for just amazing? It, it kind of feels that way, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, on the, on the second to last page, there's a subscription ad. It's basically strange, so you can subscribe for it. But, uh, like I said, the second issue never came out. Um, there is a cool ad for the Red Hood comic that was a three-issue miniseries that came out through Red Circle Comics around this time. Cool. And if you're an Alex Toth fan, he did all the interior art on all three of those issues. You can usually find them in dollar bins. They're totally, awesome. worth, they're totally worth grabbing. Um, and then an ad for Justice Machine. Very nice. Yep. And the Red Circle ad on the back. So okay. they must have had some connection with Red Circle Comics. Well, well, he, well here's all those characters you weren't sure of. It's the shield from... Yep, uh... you're right. Uh, Black Hawk, uh, Black, was it Black Hood is the... Yeah, this is Black Hood, but it was definitely Black Hawk yeah. in that portfolio. And the piece. shield, isn't that like um, Jack Kirby and... Um, Kirby and Simon, Simon going yeah, way back. Yeah, yep. later on work. That's awesome. And then the third... Uh, the one book that bothers me the most out of this whole collection, I have both of these books in this set. The cover is ridiculous. You're talking about the one in front of us yeah, right now, which is com- comics book number comics two. Comics books with an X. So this this will be our, our underground of the week for this episode. Yeah, it is ridiculous. For, I want to say it's an underground, but it's, it's so highly printed. It's it's an it's Marvel's attempt at yeah, an underground, and it's 100%. so crazy to me that like this has an S. Clay Wilson page in it. So Marvel published S. Clay Wilson in this magazine. Have you ever read the first one? I of this don't one? have the first one. I have it. I have both. I when I was um, I think there's four or five in total. Oh really? Yeah, I think so. I've never seen number three. I've seen two a bunch of times. 
one, only once, the mm-hmm. one I got. And um, because I'm on a kick of finishing graphic novels. Like, I got you one. I got you the Dreadstar graphic novel. Oh, I figured you want it. It's like a pair. I'll hand it to you. That's awesome. It's right under the comic you gave me. Um, but, like, this one bugged me out because the artwork is a little bit... It's, you know, it's, a lot it's of really it. uneven. So it's... Yeah. For those who aren't familiar with it, comics book was Marvel's attempt to get in on the underground comic phase. They never got Robert Crumb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he didn't want anything to do with them. Though he has a letter published in one of the issues. Really? Yeah, so I'd like to find that one. It was published in 74 under Curtis Magazines, but Curtis Magazines was Marvel. And it was edited by Dennis Kitchen of Kitchen Sink. That's crazy. And he got some good people to, to contribute. Howard Cruz, Kim Deitch, Justin Green, Kitchen himself contributed. Mike Plug has a little bit of artwork in here. Trina Robbins, who we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, Art Spiegelman is in this, and I'll get to that in a moment. Skip Williamson, S. Clay Wilson, and Basil Wolverton are all featured in this issue. So it's hard to go wrong with some of those guys. But I know what you mean about some of the art. Like, some of it just doesn't work. I like Skip Williamson's stuff. Like, I, the cover is not his best piece, but I find his work interesting to look at. Yeah. But it's goofy. Yeah. <laughs> but did you get a look at the first cover? Yes. Yeah. yeah. But you know what I mean? You're like, mm-hmm. whoa. You feel like it's supposed to grab your attention, but right. and you're like, "Whoa, what the hell am I looking at?" Right, and and it's interesting that like, okay, this was Marvel's attempt to to create an underground comic, but they they keep it at like a PG thirteen. Of course, they, they don't go X rated. Let alone like one or two of the stories might be like R rated, but because like, there's like a little bit of nudity in them, but like it's nothing compared to what the real underground comics were doing. So it in as many ways that it feels like a pale imitation. There's really good people involved with it. Which makes them worth checking down. Like this one page here was by Mike. You can tell right away. This is Mike Plug's art. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, and it's gorgeous. Let me get to the uh, the Spiegelman piece though, because it has historical significance. If you have this issue, you probably know, but maybe you've forgotten about it. It has way towards the back. Mouse. Wow. Yeah. Is this the early printing of Mouse? On so it? the first first appearance of Mouse is in an actual underground comic called Funny Aminals, not Animals, Aminals, and that's where the first Mouse strip appeared. This, I don't know if this came directly after that or... Because some of the mouse stuff appeared in... What was the the one that Spiegelman edited? The what? The, the oh. book. The comic book that Spiegelman edited. When Crumb was doing Weirdo, Spiegelman was doing... It was after Arcade Raw. Okay. Yeah, it was in... Uh, a lot of the mouse stuff appeared originally in Raw. So it was crazy to me when I was just flipping through this yesterday and all of a sudden there's a couple of pages of mouse. But the copyright, this must be a reprint because... The copyright date on the Spiegelman's mouse strip in this book is 1972. Like, on the signature, on the page, it says 1972 Art Spiegelman. This wasn't printed until 1974, so it appeared somewhere else first, I'm sure. Yeah, um, definitely because he, he that was like his uh, biggest project. Mm-hmm. Um, because, um, uh, uh, give me one second to just reflect on mouse for a second. Of course, yeah. Um, mouse was recently banned by uh, libraries. I know, in Tennessee. Yeah, but the fact that it's been multiple times it's been attempted on that book mm-hmm. drives everybody wild but when you read it it is a heart-wrenching story oh absolutely what he's doing absolutely but the best thing to do is a real fan if you really want to get a concept of like uh, like get into his mind of writing it let, read some of the interviews he talks about while writing it and how hard it was because he goes the way i portrayed my family it's really hard on me, but I wanted to be honest as possible. It's based on his parents' experience. Yeah, 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 but he still had a problem with the way he uh, wrote up his father. Right. And he didn't want to write his father as, like, a, it, like he wanted to write as is. Mm-hmm. And he wanted, like, not anybody have interpretation that he's like, this is what it is. He goes, when you go through some um, amazingly horrible things, 
you get you have a different mentality than you think people expect from you. Yeah. And the way he describes it in, in his interview, it made the book even stronger. Right. I haven't read it in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, that was also lost in the flood. <laughs> oh, I got you. Um, I, I used to have the hardcover. If I remember correctly, the reason, like the justification they used for banning it in Tennessee was that was the nudity. The single panel of nudity. Right. This very single yeah. panel. Yeah, one, a couple, uh, there might have been more than one panel, but it was more, not more than a handful, and it's, and it's well, a mouse. It's no, not, no, there's no, no, no titillation there. It's the lead-up to it that doesn't bother him, and the, sto- mm-hmm. and the argument right. was just a single panel yeah. that bothered him. Yeah. And they never didn't want to block it out. They just said, just ban the book. In reality, it's just a dog whistle to ban yes. the whole book in it, general. It really is. There was an excuse to get it out of there. Yeah, so. yeah, to not show a younger audience the horrors of like right. what true racism is. Right, and, and not to get political, but... Fuck those guys. Yeah, oh, 100%. 100%. These are people trying to control everything. Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate. But good on the stores that were making it available to kids. There was a comic oh. store in Tennessee, I remember seeing online, that were like, hey, kids, you want a copy of Mouse? Come get it. We'll get it for you. I think they were giving them away to, for free to high yeah, school there's, kids. There's other people out there that were like, uh, I'll, yeah. I'll, uh, what do they call it? Uh, when you're just donating stuff, you're like, I'll pay for everything. Yeah, that's yeah. what you're doing. You're donating, yeah. Yeah, so. you're like, I got it. Mm-hmm. Um. What's crazy is during that time also, like, this is not the political part, but it's the Marvel part. Marvel was putting out so many magazines mm-hmm. that I have no idea if they have an idea how much they put out after a while. And I don't mean print runs. I mean, like, cool, great artwork. They had books. fantastic horror magazines coming yeah. out in the 70s. Fantastic horror magazines, Some fantastic good. science fiction ones. Yeah. I have one of a meteorite book that was a lot of people were collecting because it's hitting, like, the World Trade Center. And it's the late 70s, so the World Trade Center just went up. Okay. And it was like, uh, and then they have another one, one of these um, Marvel graphic novels. Mm-hmm. Marvel graphic novels are supposed to be listed one through 75 of them. They go way past that. But then you have to mix in the magazines and the short stories and the sci-fi. And one of them that's hard to get is the living, uh, not the living tribunal, but the living monolith is attacking this World Trade Center. Oh, and it's weird. a cover. Yeah, yeah, and that was like one of the books that are hard to get. But but it's all fantastic artwork from the co- on the cover parts. It's all famous artists from uh, books and uh, pocket books I used to call them you know like you put them in your pocket to go yep. they would be like famous artists doing it like Boris Leo back then mm-hmm. or somebody like that of that time era yeah I have we talked about Tales of the Zombie when, on the episode yeah. with Mike and Boris Vallejo did I think a lot of the covers for that run yeah um, yeah I've got I used to grab all the Marvel magazines because they used to be dirt cheap yeah yeah I, I've got a box full of them in my closet at home and I mean they're not gonna come in at 9.8 or anything but I don't care because I bought them to read them and oh my God. I'm never getting rid of them and there's so much cool stuff in there and I figure that it was just Marvel saw what Warren Warren was doing with Creepy and Eerie in 1984 and Vampirella, just trying to get in on that and publishing it in magazine size, let them get away from comics code restrictions. Totally. So they had a little more freedom and they could do a little more adult stuff in that format. But no matter how much you're comic book collecting or magazine collecting, there'll always be something new you didn't see. Oh, 100%. That's how much stuff was coming out during that time, which mm-hmm. is so cool. And when you live in a major city, if you live near a major metropolis city, uh, metropolitan city, uh, Metropolis, Abraham. <laughs> uh, Metropolitan City, you will find places like that, uh, more magazines, Chicago, mm-hmm. New York, L.A. I want to say Miami because Miami has a great indie scene. Like, you'll find some stuff like that, so always hunting. When I lived in Portland, there was a store up on Southeast Hawthorne. I don't remember the name of it. It's probably gone by now. But all it was was used magazines. Cool it wasn't. Was it? it wasn't a comic store. It wasn't a bookstore. It was nothing but used magazines. And I would go in there and spend a couple hours just like, 
sifting through stuff. And it wasn't even always like comic magazine stuff that I was after. Sometimes I would find like old car magazines that were interesting. Yeah. And I would grab them for my dad because he likes that stuff. Um, my dad has a huge collection of uh, Mercedes-Benz like manuals and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And I didn't know that those are super rare. Yeah. Because not all of it has been uploaded. Right. Or, or car makers are like, oh, we don't really care for it to be uploaded, even though they have the original like uh, paperwork. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, okay. It's all about new, but some people right. just like the old, you know? Right. We're definitely the, like, uh, the brother of ink and paper, you yes. know? <laughs> it does seem that way. <laughs> Either that or we're hoarders. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to probably change it to fraternity of, uh, of ink and, uh, of, what, what do you say, ink and paper? Yeah, yeah. That does sound better than weird hoarder guys. Yeah, weird hoarder brotherhood. Until, like, oh, I'm going to watch too many X-Men books. Yeah. I'm going to X-Men shows. Um, uh, you also came in with a big book. I did. You want to go over that one right now? Yeah, hell okay. yeah. All right. I bought this a while ago. I was just flipping through a box today, and I figured, why not talk about it? Because it's cool, and it's tough to find, and you've got chocolate on your fingers, so I'm yeah. not going to let you touch it. <laughs> I'm, don't worry. I, I never touch other people's books that bug me out. I take stuff seriously, but like that's when I saw it. I was like, oh, crap. I already started eating. Yeah, so this is uh, Caliber Presents number 1, published by, obviously, Caliber Comics. And as most listeners will probably already know, it's the first appearance of James O'Barr's The Crow. That's why it's an expensive book. Although, oddly enough, despite the fact that it's the first appearance of The Crow, it's worth about half of what The Crow number one is worth. <laughs> really? In terms of value, yeah. And I think it's because of the cover. Yeah, because so it's not on the cover. I look at the cover of Caliber Presents number one, and I'm like, cool, Tim Vigil drew Kuda, which is basically his Conan knockoff. So there's, you know, a barbarian fighting a fire demon with a castle in the background. To me, that's pretty badass, but it's not... The cover of The Crow number one, which is obviously pretty iconic at this point. Published in 1989, the first story is the Cuda story that I mentioned by Tim Vigil. It's all black and white. Inked by Tim Tyler, who did Blood Rain, and also did some of the inking on the early Faust issues. Mm-hmm. Very cool stuff. It's it's not super, super uh, original. <laughs> like I said, it very much feels like a Conan story. If you flip through it, he's fighting wizards, he's fighting flaming demons, he's using his sword to do what but he needs nice to do. It's nice and wild. <laughs> Yeah, it's cool. It, it, lets, it lets Vigil go crazy with the art, which is the best thing to let Vigil do, is let him go nuts yeah. with his artwork. Um, but yeah, the second story is is the Crow story. Biobar, again, all the whole issue's black and white. And yeah. it's, it's reprinted in the trade paperback, so you've read it, I'm sure. Yeah, I have a signed copy of the first trade paperback mm-hmm. uh, by James O'Barr. I love this. It's so I love cool. the character. I love yeah. the, the, the problem, not the problem, but the, the fun part about this is that, like, the... Like, this is definitely people's gateway drugs for a long time in the early 90s. Yes, into, uh, it absolutely was. Independent comics and also goth music. Yeah. <laughs> when I was in college, I had the Crow trade paperback because my my collection was at home, so I had, didn't have my originals with me. But I had the trade paperback, and I lo- I must have loaned that book out to 20 people in my dorm. I do that a lot. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. My question to you is, did the, um, what year the movie came out? Was it? Around there. Yeah. yeah. What, what were you in college at the time? 94, 95. Yeah, so yeah. But we, what was the first for you to learn about the, the... Did you find the comic in the store? Yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. For yeah. me, it was after the movie. I bought a second printing of the first issue off the rack as a kid. That's awesome. And I still have it. That's so, awesome. Yeah. I have number one and I have number four. For some reason, I never got two and three. I don't know why. And then when the Tundra reprints came out, mm-hmm. I grabbed those. And then the trade paperback came out and I grabbed that. And my trade paperback eventually fell apart. Because I read it a million times and I loaned it to, like I said, a ton of people. And it was, it was fine. It was... One of those things that it was just going to get beat up. I didn't really care. It probably has some monetary value now. At the time, I was like, it's trade paperback. I've got the originals, so it doesn't matter what happens to this. I love that, though, man. It's, uh, for me, that was like uh, the, the movie mm-hmm. really pulled me in. Okay. And then finding out it was a comic book movie blew my mind. Yeah. 
that blew my mind. So you knew of the movie before you knew of the comic then? Yeah, because right. it was a big VHS film. Right. So everybody had one. Yeah. And then you'd see like the, the hang print, uh, what they would call like a, like a standee mm-hmm. hanging in the store. And I was like, oh, what's this? And they're like, oh, it's an amazing movie. And you know the story of what happened with Brendan Lee with the of film. Of course, yeah. It's so damn good. Yeah. And it's so well written. And to be honest with you, like, they add to the movie that's not in the book. Like the ending part with the with the leader of the gang because mm-hmm. it ends when he when he gets rid of T Bird. It's so many great scenes, and anybody who's a cult movie fan recognizes the leader of the gang as the leader of the bad guys and the warriors. Yes, and that's always my favorite part. It's like, oh, this is the really real world. Mm-hmm. You're not real, <laughs> and I realize it's it's uh oh my god man, it's Luther from the Warriors, and who's the villain who does the bottle parts. Mm-hmm. And uh, that might have been ad libbed also that part that scene. I'm not sure. No, the the war uh, the warriors part was ad libbed. Right. You know, but, with, the, with, the, with the bottles. Yeah. But in the crow might have been ad libbed a little bit because his acting was so superb. Mm-hmm. And there's some guys who are just good villains. Yeah, he's awesome. He's yeah. a villain in Commando too. Yeah, yeah. He's like, oh yeah. Remember when? <laughs> remember when I tell you I kill you last? He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I lied. <laughs> <laughs> the my favorite part is that you see the little rope around his foot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a great film. It's fun to watch. Anyway, um, yeah. So it's the first appearance of the crow. It's pretty cool. Um, it's really just an introduction to the character. Like you don't get the whole revenge aspect yet. Mm-hmm. So it's just the crow kind of walking around the street, comes into contact with a drug dealer, and uh, he kills him. Not much to it, but obviously it leads to bigger and better things. And it's, yeah. it's, it's pretty cool to, to have it. <laughs> um, the third story is called Street Shadows, True Love. And uh, it was written by Kyle Garrett. And the pencils and inks were by... Or the pencils were by somebody who signed their name Bloodworth. I don't know who that is, but the inks were by Vincent Locke, who I love from Baker Street and the first run of Dead World. Nice. And he also did Sandman Mystery Theater for DC at one point. That's the one with uh, Wesley Dodds, right? Uh, yeah, the one that yeah. Matt Wagner wrote. Yeah, yep. I love that. It's just you know, it's kind of a, just a, a kind of a cool, weird romance story about uh, some troubled people. Four stories called Thrill Kill. It's kind of disposable, honestly. Yeah, but this is the kind of stuff I dream about as trade paperback. Mm-hmm. I love trades, but I also love um, like Marvel Comics presents, Dark Horse presents, Caliber Press presents. Right. I love short stories and books and then a collection of them. I'm a sucker for indie anthologies because you never know what you're going to find in them. True, true. And then towards the back of the book, there's another story called Silo, part one. It's credited to Barbed Wire Halo Studios, which is James Obar. So awesome. there's two Obar stories in this book. And it's kind of like a futuristic military type thing. Oh, very nice. Yeah. I don't know who else was in Barbed Wire Studios. Like, I feel like it might have been Obar and Vincent Locke together. But it's definitely James Obar. Like, if you look at it, you can compare it to the crow story look at especially look at the eyes yeah he draws eyes very distinctly and you recognize his work right away like this guy here he looks like the crow yeah <laughs> but i like i like the meatiness of like the artwork mm-hmm. like it's very detailed it's like um there's only one artist i follow right now that does stuff like that and who's a little bit escaping my name is like two artists one is named harvey uh, harvon garcia okay and then the other guy is the wonton soup guy which i'm having a little brain fart we talk about it all the time it's right next to you actually if you can read the name on the side it's a little book wonton soup Oh, James Stoko. James Stoko. I, I don't know that book, but I know him from uh, Orphan and the Five Beasts and from his Alien story, which is awesome. That's the part that drives me wild. Some of our favorite artists have all done an Alien story mm-hmm. because that seems to be like everybody's like love. Right. He's like, uh, I call it the hipster uh, hipster fans of um, indie art now, where they're not into the comic books, but Stokey's so good that you must, must get, um, get his stuff. That uh, There's a print of Galactus out there. That, that Stokey did? did, but he was. But it's only in like uh, print shops, like um, 
certain like hipster Brooklyn uh, print shops had them, and they refused to reprint it, even though he's very open to like, go ahead. Weird. You know? Yeah, but it's amazing. It's about it's a it's a six foot poster. Okay. It's a six foot by one foot poster. Yeah, so it's taller than me. Yeah. <laughs> and, but definitely thinner than me. <laughs> thinner than me too. And but it's so detailed oriented of a city destroyed, but Galactus's full body from his ankles all the way top to his head. I'm gonna have to look for that. Yeah, it's I don't have room to display a six foot poster. I, just, I had it for I years. I just want to see it. I had it for years. It was a twenty dollar print. Yeah. That's get wild. anywhere in Brooklyn. Huh. And now you're like, I can't find this sucker. It's crazy. Yeah, but I didn't know James Stokey as well as I do now. Yeah. And now I'm a huge fan. So is it Stokey or is it Stoko? I don't know. I, th- I think he's is he Japanese. I've never met him. I don't no, know. No, I'm not too sure, but yeah. like he's just got a lot. Oh, have you read Wonton Soup? No. All right. I didn't know it existed until you pointed it out. It's book. a ridiculous book about space iron chef. Okay. So it's aliens facing off against uh, making food in space. That would work really well with his art style. For yeah, sure. he loves food and he loves art. You you also came in with two more uh, indie books. Those are for the next episode. Oh, we'll save that. So for it's your later. turn. It's your oh, turn. Oh. Um, also did the Godzilla Half Century War for oh, IDW. That is such a good book. <clears throat> yes, that is I'm missing. Good book. I'm missing one or two issues of it, but I have it. No, I have the trade in here. That's why I knew I knew his name off the top of my head for something else, and I just forgot. All right, me, I'm a more of a trade guy, but so I'm gonna hit up with the single issues. Yeah, what are we at? We're at the 40 minute mark. So the next 10 minutes is all you. <laughs> we can do a little bit longer. We'll make we can it good. go longer. I know there are um, no rules at the Queen's Comic Podcast. Oh, uh, my big thing is this week was like a few single issues, but I'm more of a trade guy. Um, I've been collecting the Fantastic Four uh, books, but only these variants done by Alex Ross, which are like icon character variants. Uh, I, number one is Mister Fantastic. Number two is Invisible Woman. Number three is The Thing, and these are amazing looking. Yeah, these that are, cover is awesome. Story wise, not so good. No, no. Uh, the first book I read only the first issue because I wanted to read it. Was um it was like a a time stuck uh, a a town stuck in another time, which is very interesting. But the artwork was a little rough. On this the thing cover is killer. It almost looks like a model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's uh, famous for using models for his work. Right. Like he's he, like Alex Ross is like the goat when it comes to painting. Mm-hmm. Like his father is actually the main character of Kingdom Come, which yep. always makes me laugh. But um, I I'm can't wait for the Fantastic Four number four, which is a uh, Human Torch. If he continues on and does one of each character in the series, I would buy every damn issue. Just for the covers. Just for the covers. Yep. One, I'm a Fantastic Four guy. Even my, I, I don't like pops that much, but I have all the Fantastic Four pops because I love. There's, I'm, all right. I'm gonna get a little bit weird uh, in depth geek <laughs> on this one. There's two pops I collect that uh, th- those are the only pops I collect. But there's two of them in that set make me want to cry from how cool of an idea it is. One is the Human Torch, but the other one is Human Torch flaming on with his feet and his hands. Like a John Byrne cover. That's and I cool. thought that was so cool. <laughs> I was like, wow, you guys went above and beyond and really thought this out. Um, the, are, all the, are all the Ross covers black and white? Yes. Okay. So it's even cooler. So is the Human Torch one going to be black and white? Yes, well? of course. Wow. Yeah, he's going to, um, if he does the Mole Man or anybody after that, mm-hmm. I'll take him. He's got to do a Doom cover. Yeah, well, Doom's a mandatory. Right. Know? Doom, I love that people are picking up Doom covers that are just like, I don't want to miss out later on. And I'm seeing a lot of books that used to be like fifty cents a dollar now go for like ten bucks. But if you need it, go get the Doom where he, the one we talked about one episode where it's just his mask. Photo cover, in, yeah. Photo cover, <laughs> get that for yourself. Um, the other books I picked up was Darkwing Duck made a comeback. Yeah, it's the new Dynamite series. Yeah, it's fun. It's really fun. I I, I never read this art writer before, but I try and pick up whatever covers for when it comes to Darkwing Duck because I love that show. If you ever get a chance to, a YouTube show does a doc uh, like a short documentary about um. The history of Darkwing Duck. It started off as a spy show that was supposed to be at the same time James Bond uh, Jr. was out. 
So it was their version of it, but... I'm going to have the James Bond Jr. theme song stuck in my head for oh, the rest of the day. sorry. <laughs> totally your fault. <laughs> but what's cool is that the writers went above and beyond and had so much fun with it, with the show. I don't know. Did you ever watch Dark Kingdom? Yep. You remember, like, um, like Negavolt and, mm-hmm. like, um, Bushroot and all these characters? Yeah, yeah. They were based on... Um, his character is based on the Shadow. Right. 100%. But it's a lot of James Bond with, uh, with what was the name of the... Uh, the villains were called Egg, I think, right? Yeah, it's kind of like the Shadow with a lot of gadgets. A lot of gadgets, yeah. but um, and um, but the stories were like really out there. They have an alien one where the, all the cabbages were people. Were the Cabbage Patch <laughs> Kids, they were replacing all the humans with cabbage versions That's of funny. them. And for a show that... It was well written for a kid show. So I love that one. The Of course, one of the I pick up uh, uh, monthly... But my big thing is that I got a couple of trades this week that I was happy to get. One, I finally picked up Commandy, Last Boy on Earth from Jack Kirby. That's funny because I'm trying to put together that run. Well, I have them for you, uh, the first 10 issues or so. Uh, not exactly 1 through 10, but like 5 of them nice. that are in mint condition. So okay. if you want them, you can take them. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I, don't, picked them I up. don't say no to 70s Kirby. <laughs> yeah, I picked them up for a dollar each at the at the Cosmic Con in Queens. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah was, uh, we'll find it before the end of the day. I love the trades, but my favorite part is that the the binding is all matching on all the Jack Kirby books from DC. Mm-hmm. And they're gorgeous. It just says Command on the top with a little mm-hmm. circle of his face and Jack Kirby's face in the middle that mm-hmm. all line up and each book is a different color. Um, Mr. Miracle is in pink. The Demon is in yellow. Uh, uh, oh, Jimmy yeah, Olsen is there. orange. You got all the fourth world trades. Yeah, yeah. I love Jack Kirby. And then Omac is white. And then the only thing that kind of sticks out that makes it ugly is... Marvel's Eternals, but <laughs> Marvel's Eternals feels like such a second tier book in his writing because he got all his best stuff out in the in the Fourth World. About about two years ago, I decided I wanted to get originals of all the Fourth World books, so oh. I finished the run of Omac because that one's easy and cheap. That's the easiest one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I got about half of the run of Commandy. I've got all the Forever Peoples except for the first one, which is the pricey one. We'll um, find it for you. Yeah, I've got a Mister Miracle number one. Uh, I don't have. The whole run of Mr. Miracle, I think I got about half of it. New Gods, I have about half of it. So, like, I'm making pretty good progress on it. But, yeah, Mr. People number one, that's that's on the, the we'll list. We'll find out. Um, I saw it in the store recently for a good price. It's around. Yeah. Um, uh, Mr. Miracle, I'm, I'm a huge Mr. Miracle mm-hmm. man, I, obviously, because I have the tattoo. Right. Uh, but I have number one in a 8.0 CGC. Mm-hmm. And mind you, people, um, they're getting so few and far between finding good coverage of that book. It's supposed to have been a 9.4. It has a coffee stain. Uh-huh. The coffee stain is like my uh, my pinky nail. Yeah. And it's on the inside. He goes, that's the only thing keeping it from a right, 94. Right, I was like, right. that's how big of a jump. Yeah. But I got that from a great comic shop in Manhattan that I got in late late 90s. Okay. Yeah, I got my copy. I think I got it last year from Anthony. <laughs> nice. It's a good book. It's yeah. got a great cover. All the escape artist covers are great. Mm-hmm. My only problem is that there's no statue of Mr. Miracle that I like. Nobody ever puts it out. Like he's like too much of a second tier character yeah. for DC, yeah. but he's first tier to fans. Right. Like cause that that to us is like more of the kickstarter to his whole fourth world books. Mm-hmm. Because it's like it literally starts off with a bang, him and a rocket. Yeah. You know? And but Commandy, I just started reading this. Is it your first time? This. First time ever. Oh, first time it's, ever. It's I didn't fun. even got a chance to start it because I literally got it two days yeah, ago. Yeah, it's it's a lot of you're gonna dig it. It's cool. a lot of fun. I love his artwork, I love his gorilla people, I love the, the all the animal people in this world. And the fact that it's everything him, and he's just enjoying it. So let me tell you something real quick about Commandy. And I might have mentioned this to you at the last comic party, so if I did, I apologize. But no there, on the uh, 
the John Constantine and the House of Secrets Blu-ray that came out from the DC Animation yeah. last last year, maybe two years ago. There's some short stories on there, like there's some animated shorts as extras, and one of them is Commandy. And I won't spoil the story, because you're going to get to it. It's probably in that trade, but it's done in Kirby's style. That's excellent. And, and it looks fantastic. Is that is that the influence of Snyder? Of Scott, of, uh, I have no idea. Because I don't it, think he had anything to do with the animation division. No, no, here's the thing. In The Watchmen, if you watched, um, there's a, a version of The Watchmen, supposedly, where you can watch the Black Pirate yes. story. Yes, And in that movie, he had it played out throughout the thing. So you mm-hmm. watch the version with that. I assume that maybe they might have tried that with Constantine at the end to add a couple of these short stories to see if they would pick up traction, maybe. Well, I assume that that's why they did it, too, but I don't know if Snyder had any input into that or not. The other shorts that are on there are... Uh, there's a Sergeant Rock and Easy Company one. I love that. And the best one is uh, Blue Beetle and the Question, which is done as like Charlton era, 60s yeah. era. So uh, my first, it's I, pretty cool. You know, his first, Blue Beetle number one is the Question's first appearance. Yeah, I have one. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah. I got it graded. I love <laughs> it. Never, I know. I don't have mine graded, but I'm never getting rid of that book. Oh, real quick, because I don't want to forget this. Grading drives me crazy. Magazines take over a year to get graded. I've never Comics, graded a magazine. I sent it in some because I love I love some of these magazines I want to like encapsulate them. Right. Yeah, I'm still waiting. It's been like nine. To, it's like it's, it's over been eleven months. I have a Savage Sword of Conan number one that I thought about getting graded just because it has some value and stuff. Yeah. But I picked it out the other day. Went through it again. I'm like it's it's like mid grade. It's probably not worth. Yeah. Probably not worth it. Well, if you're listening to us now, stay tuned for the next episode. We're gonna go into detail about some weird books to get graded because I found <laughs> them and I want you to like tell me how you think about it. But we're going to end with one more book because this is a good trade and um, it's a phenomenal trade. But it's the more books that are coming out after this that I'm very excited about. The DC Universe by Mike McNola. And it's all of the oddball books that he's done artwork for throughout um, throughout um, uh, DC. So what do you get in there? You get the the, 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 uh, the Doom That Came to Gotham that was just a recent... Oh, you get uh, the Phantom Stranger, the Phantom Stranger yeah. series. That's, the, it's so good. The four or five part Phantom Stranger series... The Dead Man stories are supposedly in there, just the artwork parts. Mm-hmm. Um, the my favorite in there is the John Byrne Superman story he did. The World of Krypton. The World yeah. of Krypton, where they talk about a Clone War. Yep. And it's really cool, but this is all late eighties. All of his covers too. All the covers, all the covers. They have like background covers. And that Legends of the Dark Knight story that he did that has a very Hellboy vibe to it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yep. Because you see the you see the uh, blueprint leading up to it. Yeah, I have that issue. Uh, Sanctum, the, it's called. Yeah, yeah, it's all in there. Everything he's done in there. I'm waiting for more. Um, I'm waiting for the Sam Keith one to come out one day. That's my dream because he's done so many covers. Yeah, I would probably jump on that. Totally. What's the Swamp Thing story from? Uh, take a look at it. But the one that just came out that I'm very excited about that, but I'm waiting for the soft cover version, is the DC Universe by Dwayne McDuffie, which was a long, long, long been waited because uh, the ones he did for Marvel was like Damage Control and um, and Beyond, which is the last book with Scott Collins. But now I'm waiting to. I want to see all the books he did with DC because those are few and far between to find. Yeah. And I have no idea what some of them are. So this is my perfect chance to get another book to add to my to my favorite collection of books, DC Universe by anybody. Like DC Universe by Vanilla, DC Universe by Dwayne uh, Cook. Who else have they done in this series? Um. No. Here, I got it right behind me. This one. Let me double check. Because I don't pay that much attention to trades. So. Oh, I got you, but the. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a big one, but Darwin Cook, not Dwayne. And then they have one for um, they have one for Alan Moore. All uh, his oddball books. Here, let me get it for you. These have some weight to them. Yeah, of course. They're like 20 books each. Yeah. The Alan Moore ones are some of the most best written books he ever had. 
Because Alan Moore's a good writer when he has, like, a governor on him to slow down on, like, uh, keep it narrow and keep it to one area. So Dwayne McDuffie's the next up. We're hoping Kelly Jones and Doug Munch have some because um, there's a lot of, like, off-the-beaten-path off, like, off right. they've written. And yeah, like a, that. In that Mignola book, the Swamp Thing story was from Annual Number 5. That's the one that, that Neil Gaiman wrote, yeah. Oh, excellent. Yeah. And it's like a backup story it to is. another one. It is. But where are you going to find it if you don't have one of these? So I'm hoping that but if you're a, fa- a fan and you've never seen it, you're not sure of the cover. Right. And I'm a trade guy. I like trade paperbacks. See, I didn't know flipping through this Alan Moore one. I didn't know that he wrote a story in Superman Annual Number Eleven from '85 that has art from Dave Gibbons in it. Oh, you never you never read that book? No, I never read that book. That's the greatest Superman story of all time. I don't think I've ever read it. Oh, um, I also didn't realize he worked on Detective Comics in the '80s either. Yeah, but that's a Green Arrow backup story. That's, that's amazing. Okay. Green Arrow's cool. Um, the the book that he's talking about is uh, um, for the Superman has everything. It's a Justice League Unlimited, the greatest episode where uh, Mongo gives Superman uh, what they call I think it was called the Black Pearl, and it was a parasite that attaches to you. So it's Superman's um, Superman is uh, basically tripping balls, <laughs> uh, envisioning his life growing up in uh, Krypton and having a kid and having to rip. T- oh. Uh, I figured it, it had a name. It was like it was called Black Something, but it's literally a parasite that's pulling off of him, and they can't get it off of him. And the only way to remove it is for him to destroy the reality in his own mind. So he's um, so he says, so he has to tell his own son in the story that you're not real, and he sees the whole world fall apart. And then when it does finally get off of him, it attacks Superman. I mean, it attacks <laughs> Batman. And then um, so in that story, that's the one time that you think Superman's actually going to murder somebody. The, the writing is phenomenal. It's brutal. It's I haven't a brutal read that. Story. I have to track that down. Uh, the Batman one I love. If you watch the Justice League Unlimited one, it's a real heartbreaker because it's Batman watching his father beat up the guy who kills them. Oh, wow. And he, because the parasite's giving it them. But the Black Mercy, it's called. Okay. The Black Mercy, which is even worse name than Black, uh, Black Pearl. <laughs> and it's giving you everything you want so that it'll feed off you till you die. So that's it's like um, so it's hard to remove unless you rip it off yourself from realizing you're not in that reality. It's crazy. Alan Moore is a psycho. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, the one with uh, Darwin Cook, like he funny part is I love his work. He, uh, you know, uh, Rest in Power Man because he passed away. But these are all like um, it's a mix between his Frontier books and then his oddball single issues of Batman Ego, which is I supposedly what they based um, one of the last Batman movies on. Uh, it's like a short story. I forget who's the writer on that one. That is the early 2000s. It's literally January 2000. It's the covers, and then the different covers. So hopefully they come out with more artists that some people are no longer with us, come out with their artwork. Mm-hmm. I want to see it. Yeah. I want to own it. The Keith Collection is a good one. Yeah, which one? You mentioned maybe they do a Sam Keith Collection. I, I that would... one is what I'm desperate for because you've got to see his evolution of artwork mm-hmm. through the years. Because um, he did the early, um, what is it, Zombies versus Robots series. I never knew that right and that's like i guess that's his later work because the early he, yeah i thought that was all ashley wood but i haven't no, read no, it. ashley woods did the covers maybe okay. he did, maybe he might have been more of a maybe designing and then and then the ashley wood did the painting but i never knew it until i started opening up this show like oh wow this is sam keith yeah. i see his name in it yeah well his stuff goes back to the 80s because he yeah. was working for kamiko way back when yeah well hopefully somebody buys all that stuff and starts putting it out um oh and uh before we end this episode did you like the, we're going to go back to The Crow for a second. Did you like The Crow in Image Comics? I didn't read it. You didn't read it? No. Do, was there any Crow book that you liked after the original? So, the second series that came out through Kitchen Sink that Obar did the covers on and wrote, but I don't think he drew, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was called Dead Time. That's the one with the Apache Indian? So. That's an excellent story. It, it was pretty good, yeah. Outside of that, I just picked up in the dollar bins the IDW Crow Lathe series that Peach Pomoko did the covers on. That's excellent. I haven't read it yet. I don't know if it's any good. But well, I'll the check covers are nice. Culturally-wise, the Crow fits in with Japanese artwork perfectly. Mm-hmm. Because in the image series, there's a, there's a, a story based on a crow that goes back to a Japanese uh, Japanese man's revenge. Okay. And um, it's told, it's written by a Japanese writer. So I don't remember too much, but I do remember that being like, wow, I forget you can do so much with a pers- with a with a concept and just have fun with it. So it's uh, the image run is decent. It's decent. I can only remember eleven issues. Okay. But I remember picking it up every week as a kid and yeah. being like, I love it. Because you can find them fairly cheaply all the I mean, time. There's I that McFarlane cover that's worth a lot of money, but other than that, oh, I uh, I'm into the paint. I'm not a big fan. Of, I like I'm, I like McFarlane, but I'm not gonna. Die just for him because no. there's so many. Because the crow is definitely the concept of the crow goes good with the writing and the art. Should always be somebody different. Mm-hmm. Should always be a different story. Should not be the same as the last crow. Doesn't need to be Eric Draven every time. Bingo. Yeah. yeah and you don't need uh, that poor actor who had to suffer through the second crow movie. To be another <laughs> Eric Draven movie. <laughs> there's mm-hmm. a new movie coming out. Yeah, yeah, I heard it's the actor who plays uh, Pennywise. Yeah. He's playing the crow. Yeah, Stellan Skarsgård. What a great actor! I can't pronounce him, so I had to say that. <laughs> Um, that's going to be excellent. So hopefully that comes out and just keep keep putting out product, give people a chance to read old books and enjoy them. Yep. But we're going to wrap up with this episode. This is Queen's Podcast. I'm Billy Bombs. I'm Ian. We'll see you next time. Bye. Podcast. Hey, hey, Queen's Comic Podcast. Hey, hey, Queen's Comic Podcast.